Hey listeners, before we get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, this has naturally led to the creation of the short form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10 minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis for my long form interviews. It's pure distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid-level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high-performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You won't have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this. If you have gotten any value out of the way of product design, or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff-level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the way of product design. I'm Caden Damiano. We know design is valuable, but how can you unlock its true value and tie your design work to business impact? This show interviews product designers, product managers, and tech leads from places like Google, Domo, Divi, IBM, Intuit, and Uber to find out what makes a valuable product designer and how you can be one as well. All right, so this is a part two. Um, if you have listened to that first episode already, uh, this is Sam Harper. Um, you know, after that uh, interview, you know, where we just talked about like just the harsh realities of being coming into the UX industry, you know, it's not, it's a very rough and tumble first um, start. And I think with any professional career, you know, there's, you got to break in, but I think like, um, Design just being a junior designer is just a rough business, and uh, he re- and uh, Sam's really spoken to that. And just after we were talking after that interview, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, that was really heavy. And uh, you actually started talking about like all the actual stuff, like the then what, like okay, yeah. it's tough, <laughs> it's tough to be a junior, but there was no then what in the last episode. So this episode, we're actually going to try to give you. Uh, if you're a junior designer listening right now, some hope, be like some really actionable, um, tactical um, uh, information on how to actually to be competitive in the research. And you know, uh, Sam Sam's done so much work 
to synthesize like he's done all the work for you he's he's done all the research on like marketing and job hunting and stuff so that you don't have to do it um and i would highly encourage if like you're really having a hard time and you're you're willing to invest in yourself uh you know reaching out to sam because uh, he provides uh, coaching services for uh, new designers trying to break in and get their first job. Um, but yeah, Sam, welcome back to the show. Uh, let, yeah, let, let's 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 bring some positive vibes now. Now that we've uh, you know broken them at the knees. In the last All right, Caden, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, we did end a bit heavy, but yeah, I'm uh, definitely want to say that there are, there are two sides of the coin in this situation. We did cover the more heavy stuff, so now uh, we are going to cover some really strong, actionable stuff that if you've still decided at this after listening to the first episode that UX is still for you, then we got some really good information for you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think um, like for you, like what, and I'm assuming like you've also talked to hiring managers, you've done interviews, just kind of seeing like their perspective um, when evaluating uh, candidates. Like what is the commodities of like, like what's the commoditized stuff in a portfolio that just doesn't make you stand out? Like let's just, let's get the baseline here of like what's basically needed but doesn't necessarily make you stand out. As okay, so I mean, as far as like what's needed as far as a structure, really, you you know, at the fundamental fundamental core of it, you need to be telling a story. You need to be able to show logical steps from concepts to you know iteration, design, all this other stuff, all the way to the final product. Now, uh, this can be kind of vague and. I feel like that's where a lot of portfolio projects may not be as good as they can be. Um, so oftentimes, whenever whenever I've seen portfolios, especially from juniors, uh, generally there tends to be uh, I see a common a common thread. You know, for example, uh, there's not enough research that was done, so uh, it just you know it looks like the person just kind of rushed to a conclusion, or uh, there's there's not really enough of the results that are shown um or maybe you know maybe the person is like relying way too much on like heavy visual stuff or you know they might uh sometimes even skip that that intermediate juicy process that we want to see all together where they just kind of go into the uh, they'll come up with a few like napkin sketches and then show those and then boom they've got the final wireframes i'm like okay how did you get there <laughs> yeah that was a big jump yeah, um, and you know, I think for starting out, like when you're doing like those practice projects, um, that's pretty common. I, I've definitely had case studies where it's just kind of like, okay, cool. Like I went through the linear process. Here's some like sketches on paper. Here's some mid fidelity. Like you know, you're just going through for the sake of going through, and like you've already decided what you want to do, even if you're taking the effort to sketch things out and wireframe, like that's pretty common and i think it's also encouraged uh, unfortunately i feel like that's encouraged in um a lot of programs even like traditional ones besides like boot camps that you know you, you really just kind of run through like a, a framework to do ux um and then that really reflects in your case studies right so yeah like what you're saying is um there needs to be a little bit more <laughs> 
nuance to the story, right? There needs to be like uh, some drama, right? Absolutely. In fact, uh, there are some really fantastic uh, things that I can recommend. So one of, one of the, I think like definitely one of the best UX case studies I've ever seen. Uh, this is actually an old one, but it's one that a lot of people reference. It's uh, Simon Pan from Uber. And so he was a product designer at Uber for quite some time. And essentially he, in his case study, what he did is he, uh, he started essentially with the, the, I forgot specifically what he was doing. It was something about like the geo tracking of the cars, how they were coming around, uh, you know, how the, the person, the person was like responding while they were on their phone. And then we eventually, uh, he would actually like go out and like observe people who were using Uber and like how they were getting around and everything. And he did a really, really great job of it. So if you want to look for nuances as far as what you should be putting in, um, I think, uh, I think that would be a good one to reference. Now I will say for a fact that, uh, his case study is long. Um, most people, I'm going to say your case study does not need to be as long as Simon's was, but generally the the thought process that he follows is solid. Um, so you could definitely like take some inspiration from that. And I will say that this is something that I feel that if I'm going to give, as far as like portfolio feedback, one piece of advice I could give for any UX designer out there. It doesn't matter if you are, you know, you're a, a principal UX designer, you've been doing this for 15 years, or you're brand new, you don't have any experience. Measure your results. Always, 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 always measure your results because if you can, uh, if you can tell your story in a quantitative way, and what I mean by that is, let's say you've got, uh, you've got this, um, I don't know this problem. Let's say you're you're creating like a checkout kiosk, and it takes the person thirty seconds to you know an average person thirty seconds to get through, and there's this long line, and people are getting pissed off because the you know the checkout's slow, and and then you go in and you do some like iterations, and maybe you measure like a couple other things. You've got that base data, and then you go in, you're doing your design, you're iterating it, and now you're able to measure it, and now holy crap it's instead of 30 seconds now it's 12 seconds and people are just skimming you know like going on by and the line's a lot shorter uh, and then you could measure like how you know how much more revenue did that translate to how uh how many more people were like coming to the store as a result of that it's of course like these are kind of silly examples but what i'm trying to say is when you have that very solid before and after information and you tell that especially like at the end of the story or like somewhere in there where you're very highly, you know, highlight like, Hey, my design reduced the, uh, you know, reduced some bad number we don't want by 18 seconds. It increased revenue by $300,000 per week. It, uh, I don't know, like drop off rate decreased 29%. Like that's stuff that's going to really hit home on your portfolio. And I think so many more people need to be doing that. Yeah, and I think when you're first starting out, you could really lean on uh, time to task is a really easy one to do um, when you're first starting out. Like I, I reduce time to task by uh, ten minutes, and uh, ten minutes I think in any scenario, any workflow is like an eternity. So I think that's a huge win. And then you think about 
um, just the compound effect of saving 10 minutes in a workflow. Like I, that, right. that's just huge. And then you could do that as a newer designer. Um, but, uh, uh, I think the, <laughs> the problem is, is like, you know, you, there's like a kind of a scary, um, risk to putting that much effort into a case that he likes Simon Pan. Am I right? Like, it's just, is the hiring manager going to read all this work I put into it? Right. Like that's, that's kind of like, right. That's, that's the, that's the, the investment risk. Right. Absolutely. And to, to that, what I would say is yes, you can have, um, you can have more information in there, but what, what Simon actually does a good job of even then, you know, even though his case study is long, what he does a really good job of is contextualizing like in a 30 second view, you know, like if somebody had 30 seconds to read it, they could still understand what he's talking about. And what I, what I always recommend to people who are putting together a portfolio is if somebody who didn't speak a word of English looked at your portfolio, you know, assuming they were like fluent with tech and computers and everything else, they just couldn't read English, would they be able to understand this? And if they're at least, you know, maybe not like completely, completely understand it, but like to get the general concept of what you're trying to do. Uh, if you can do that, then you're going to be in a really good position. Yeah. Um, I think the thing for me, like what really brought my portfolios to the next level was adding interactivity and hierarchy. Like it wasn't just a wall of content. Like I, I added like a nice little like uh, navigation bar with all the headers of the case study. And then if you clicked on it, it like auto scrolled to like that part of the process. I, would, I don't know if I'd ever put that much work into it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sounds like quite a bit. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I think when you're first getting started, right, like you don't have a job, so you have the, the time to put the effort in. And, and you know, this is, this is talking about, this is talking about like getting that first job. Like, you know, you, you really got to go above and beyond there. Um, I mean, there is hope though, um, as you get more experienced and if you actually have like a good reputation, um, there's less and less people at the top. I was actually talking with, um, uh, Joey Isaacson. He was on the show season two and, uh, you know, as I was eating lunch with him and he was just saying like, yeah, you know, it's really saturated at the bottom, but eventually like the numbers kind of dwindle down the higher up you go. You know, what's really funny that you mentioned that, um, I've heard the same thing with like a list actors too, which is kind of amazing Ooh, to I'm think glad about you bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever you look at Hollywood, you will see, you know, like new actors are a dime a dozen. You see so many of them, they're all like crowding in trying to, you know, they're all like competing so that they could even get on like a little like Colgate commercial and like brush their teeth on camera for five seconds or something like that. But then when you get to like, uh, and I think like an interviewer was talking to like Johnny Depp about this and he said, you know what, now that I'm at the top, it actually feels kind of lonely because I have no competition. <laughs> he just has to show up on set and then he gets the job. It's, and I think that's, um, that's something to definitely look forward to for brand new UX designers. Look, you know, look at this. Yes. You're going to be competing with a lot of people. You know, you got to 
sift through a lot of muck. You got to be able to go th maybe go through some crappy jobs. That's okay. Everybody has to. But eventually, like you do get to that point where it's going to get a lot easier. And I can tell you, uh, and Caden, you know, Caden knows this too, is that the more experience you get, I almost feel like the easier it gets too. Yeah, no, definitely. And <laughs> I mean, not, not exact. I think in a better market, it gets easier as well. Right. Um, but like, yeah, it's just, there's less people at the top just because people will fizzle out. I mean, you have to stick with it. Um, you know, not everyone's going to become like a, you know, a design manager at one of these big tech firms. You know, those are kind of like the A-list celebrities that enjoy like getting whatever job they want, you know? And I think even at all levels, even senior designers, it's all, I mean, that being said, if they get a job somewhere, you, you, you still have to just assume that they work their face off in the interview process. Um, but yeah, definitely. Like I, I really hope I, because, um, I remember there's like a designer, uh, Albert, Albert Packer, he's at Invanti right now. And, uh, he took like a quick hiatus, but had just great reputation, just known for just being really good and being a good person. And he took a little hiatus because he wanted to, you know, encourage his wife to do like a quick like job stint in like Portland. He comes back to Utah and he just goes on LinkedIn and says, hey, I'm looking for senior designer roles. And it was just like putting blood in the water, like just he got swarmed over him. But uh, don't let that story discourage you. Because if you're a junior, like that just that just comes with experience. And I think that's that's an important thing to realize that once you break into the industry, to get to that point, it's all about reputation and the people you know. Now, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but um, you know, it's always nice to talk about like the the strategy after you break in. But we're we're gonna focus on breaking in. Now, even that like portfolio, ton of work. You know, there's a risk that people aren't going to read the case studies and they're just going to kind of skim through it. So you have to like make it skimmable. Um, but that's still table stakes. Um, and you've uh, mentioned in your your work and uh, in like the stuff that you've, you've written that um, there is some like kind of low, less important aspects uh, that you shouldn't focus on. I think one of them being the cover letter. So why why is a cover letter in our field not that like high value to like spend a lot of your time? Yeah, so first off I will say as the cover letter, um, I will say that like nothing I say is set in stone by any stretch of the imagination. I know some bosses do want a cover letter, that's fine. And But I personally, I actually don't write cover letters personally, which actually sounds really counterproductive because you know, most of the time whenever you're you're submitting your work. Uh, one of the first things you'll hear is write a cover letter, custom tailor it to that company, and then submit your resume and everything. But with that said, I will, and again, I want to state that this is my opinion. This is not a fact. But when it comes to cover letters, you, I think it's really important to realize that the whole purpose of that is to essentially sell yourself in like a 30 second pitch to the or 20 seconds or however long it's gonna take them to read it to that employer. Now, I believe that that, is, that can be a good strategy if you're in like a very traditional field, like if you're an accountant, if you're a banker or something like that, but we are in a creative field. So 
the way I go about this is I actually, I prioritize my, my online presence first and foremost, hmm. because you know, resume is your first res, uh, sorry, Google is your first resume. So whenever somebody searches, you know, they're going to be searching your name and the first, if you, if they search your name and then they find like all this really cool stuff you've done, then they're already aware of you. They know what you're capable of, what you can do. Um, and then after that, I prioritize, uh, you'd think I'd say my portfolio, but I usually like to say uh, what I'm capable of, which is kind of where I lump my portfolio and then like all my other cool things I've worked on, like, you know, back in, um, Back in November, I drove down to San Diego and I went to a hackathon down there and we won first place and it was for, uh, for an environment, it, it was focused, it was with the San Diego Zoo to combat legal animal poaching. Uh, I mean, that's something that people can find online. Um, I, you know, I, I talked to you about how there's a publisher who actually approached me for a book and, you know, once that gets read or once that gets written, that's something people find about me. That kind of falls in that second tier category. And then the third tier, which is actually what I prioritize the least, even though it's important, it's really just, it's the resume. It's for, uh, yes, it'll get you picked up by an HR department. Uh, I do definitely make my resume look nice and everything, but I don't put a lot of effort into it because I want everything else to speak a thousand times louder than a resume and a portfolio can. And I think it's also just because <laughs> because I'm so bitter because I've written so many cover letters and it just never seems to work. But, you know, at the same time, what I say is what the way I look at cover letters is, is it really worth it for me to spend at least, you know, half an hour of my time writing a cover letter and sending it to this company that I may not even care that much about to work with to begin with, just for it to get dropped down the black hole and I have to rinse and repeat and apply to 10 jobs. I mean, that seems like a pretty inefficient waste of time. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder what an efficient waste of time is. Um, <laughs> uh, the, sorry. That, that, Touche. I, I, yeah. Um, but... <laughs> um, I can think of a few efficient wastes of time. I'm real. I, I have really great like time wasters. Um, but I write media articles. That's how I waste time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Effect, effective wastes of time is to build your brand. Um, yeah, I only I only write. Um, I mean, and I guess it, it's kind of a privileged position. But I, uh, you know, once you get to a point where you know you you got your your bases covered, right? okay, like you got to pay the bills and you don't have a job, apply everywhere. But once you get into the field, um, I think the mature thing to do is to just kind of be selective. Like if a company looks interesting to you, it's a little bit easier to draft a quick cover letter because you could articulate what interests you about them. Like I only write cover letter if I I really just see like an alignment of values. Um, sometimes I get lucky and it's just a, it's a, a parallel, it's a parallel uh, industry and you get to say like, well, I, like I've already, I think I'd be a huge value add because I'm already, I'm already familiar with the jobs to be done and in this problem space. So like it wouldn't be yeah. a big deal to bring me on. But I mean, if it's another company, I have like no experience in the industry. All I have is my skill set. In my experience working with people, 
Um, I, I've written a cover letter where I said, okay, well, I mean, like I may not have like the experience in this field, but I do have a lot of uh, soft skill experience, you know, pushing through big projects and this looks like a complex problem. I think would it'd be worth talking to me. And then other times I'm like, I mean, they seem like a cool company. I, have, I, I mean, I don't really know what they do um, and, you know, wouldn't kill me if they rejected me and I just don't fill out a cover letter. But I think, you know, you're the designer, you're designing your approach and you just need to be a little strategic about it. Um, but I think, yeah, don't not being prescriptive and like doing the cover letter over and over again, that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, that that's why I wanted to state it's my opinion. It's not fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not telling. I'm not saying don't write a cover letter. I'm just saying I don't because I feel that there's more efficient ways of doing going about applying for a job and getting myself seen. Here's my default cover letter. So if I feel like it's a competitive role, I'll just put. And every time I've done this, I've gotten. Um, into the interview process to like practice right um, is if you if you have a good reputation and you have like a handful of like mentors and stuff that are pretty senior and they're willing to like vouch for you like they'd be happily they'd happily like speak on your behalf if, as like a reference sometimes um, and uh, you know a, a, a designer uh, JB Chikowsky told me that the job he got into like the head of design job at Europe he he talked about how he's like well like I was uh, initially passed over for mm-hmm. for that job um, but six months later I noticed that it was open and I sent him uh, an email saying like hey here's a list of people that could vouch for me and then you know because of that follow-up and just putting like a huge list of people that because he has a good reputation you know, that's you could do that as a junior too. Um, if you if you provide a lot of value and um, you give a lot to like you know your mentors and you know you it, the mentors that you have, if they give you advice, you act on it and you put it into practice. That makes them feel good and that makes them like you and it shows initiative. Um, I you could get a list of like uh, three or four designers that really like your initiative and could speak to your character and you could just say, hey, these four designers they could vouch for me. Like I, I'm worth talking to, um, you know, I don't take my word for it, but that's, that's another like quick cover letter strategy. So you don't have to like craft and do like copywriting, you know, evaluation, like trying to be as persuasive as possible. You know, it's just kind of letting your reputation speak for itself. And you speak to yeah. a really important point where it's like your, your online presence and your, your personal brand it's a lot easier to build that than craft a perfect portfolio piece. Yeah, and actually, uh, you did you did mention your online presence. Uh, I would like to talk a little bit about LinkedIn too. Yeah. So, as far as LinkedIn goes, I do see plenty of people who actually don't use it, which I, I personally believe is uh, it's a shame. I would like to see a lot more people on LinkedIn than there are, and. Uh, first off, you know what a, a common reason that I see people people don't post is because they're shy, they're scared of what people think of them. And what I say to that is that generally, whenever we we usually tend to think something's going to be a lot worse than it actually is. So, um, in fact, actually, I uh, one of my colleagues is she's a, a lead designer at a. Uh, at a an entertainment chain 
I'm not going to say which one, um, but I was talking to her on the phone and, you know, she's, she's been in this field for like eight years. She's got a plenty of experience and I noticed that she just was barely on LinkedIn at all. And I said, hey, look, you should be on LinkedIn a lot more. And she saw that I was active on it. She's like, oh, well, I'm really happy that you are, but I'm not going to post because I'm worried of what people will think of me. Keep in mind, this is a lead designer at a very well-known entertainment chain mm -hmm. who is not willing to post because she's afraid of what people will think of her. And unfortunately, that's a trap that a lot of juniors do fall into. So what I want to say in response to that is that I guarantee that you as a junior know more than someone else does. I mean, yes, there's going to be people who know more than you are, than you do. There's people who know more than me. There's people who know more than, you know, Jared Spool, <laughs> believe it or not. But at the same time, somebody's going to find whatever you have to share of value. If you are, you know, for example, like if you, you came into your boot camp and then uh, you learned about, I don't know, Jacob Nielsen's heuristics. Cool. What's your favorite? Talk about it. Give your personal impression of it. You know, just like kind of uh, just like educate the internet on it. Even if like two people are listening, it doesn't matter. If you're consistently doing that and you're consistently showing up on LinkedIn, the, the algorithm does reward you. You get seen by more people and you get to make more connections. Um, and, you know, if you're really scared, just post and make a post on LinkedIn. Doesn't even have to be long. Doesn't you don't have to be like sharing some like heart throbbing life story, but just post something and then post something again and post something again. Yeah. And I mean, and that compounds really like and you start refining your, your personal style. Um, I could think about. You seem like a very you're familiar with Gary Vee, but yes, you know it's the whole the whole two cent strategy is you just spend three hours and I used to do this when I was in college. Like there's there is a combination of Gary Vee's two cents rule and Chase Jarvis, who's like you know really like world renowned photographer. You know he's mm -hmm. the founder of Creative Live, and he talks about the fifty percent rule. Um, and he's like everyone's thinking that you need to keep like improving your skill set and stuff, but if you're not in demand. 50% of your time should be spent in the community, commenting, participating, going to meetups, like making yourself seen. You know, it's like basically it's like 50% of your time should be spent marketing, creating like demand, right? And um, Gary Vee gives you like a nice tactical strategy. And this is what I did to get like some of the biggest connections it actually led to my second uh, in-house job. Um, was the two cents rule and I keep putting it off. I'm sorry, I'm verbose, but I get verbose mm -hmm. when I'm excited about stuff, you know, uh, where you spend three, you could, he says like spend three hours a day to sit on your bed. You know, it's not that hard. You need know, to lay on your bed, be comfortable, eat, have some snacks and you just start going through LinkedIn or Instagram and you just start have like post like on like people's posts make a make a meaningful comment like give your two cents don't say like oh nice colors on dribble like actually like give your opinion or ask a thoughtful question um and just show that like oh this person is like not like bsing me in the comment section right it's like you're giving you're at you're providing value by providing adding meaningful dialogue to the conversation you do that for three hours 
um, on a daily basis, like that builds a foundation for, you know, your like your network. Um, the LinkedIn algorithm is going to be putting your stuff in front of these like more important people. And I actually have a, I have a really good story where <clears throat> um, how I met Brian Mortensen, um, and he's currently he just moved over to Homey, um, and he's one of the reasons why I went to Progressive Leasing. And um, you know, like I think back to like the events that led to us meeting each other, and how it's like you know changed the trajectory of my life. And I was doing the two percent rule, and I was on my bed. And uh, Ben Peck, the the founder of the Front Conference, you know, he, he posts something, and I ask a thoughtful question, and, you know, thinking that's for Ben. Uh, Brian Mortensen sees that, he looks at my profile, he reads some of the articles I've written, and he's like, "Oh, this person actually knows what he's talking about," and he and he DMs me, and that led to a relationship where, you know, like at the time he was at IBM IX, and then he like told me, "Oh, actually, I'm moving back to uh, Utah." Let's meet up while I'm like looking for jobs, and uh, that you know snowballed, and you know we ended up working together and stuff. But I just I can't. It was like such a small, insignificant thing. It it was just me asking a smart question on an important like or like well known designer's LinkedIn post, and that led to. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, We're absolutely. And crazy. you know what I do what I do want to say about that too is that you know nobody's going to bite your head off. And even if they did, worst case scenario, let's say you commented on someone's post and I don't know, let, or let's say like Caden, we're having a conversation on online. Let's say I say hi to you and then you say go fuck yourself. <laughs> You're not going to, but um, <laughs> Yeah, what's, what is that? What happens to me? Like, am I physically hurt? Am I, does that mean I don't have a roof over my head that I don't have food to eat? No, like, it's just, you know, occasionally you will encounter a jerk. Yes, they might even be on LinkedIn. I've found them, but it's not the end of the world. It's fine. You just like, people forget about that stuff. And it seems like the common, the common worry that I hear from people is they say like, I don't want to post on LinkedIn because I don't want to say something stupid. And then someone will, uh, someone of importance will find out. And now I'm banished from the design community or something like, believe me, people's mindsets go there. And that's not how it works. Like I've, um, I will say like, I definitely comment a lot on LinkedIn. I have occasionally got in some like pretty heated arguments with people on LinkedIn. And that hasn't, yeah, that hasn't sabotaged my my career. Like I'm still working as a UX designer. I'm still employed. No, I've, I've been, <laughs> I've been chewed out a couple times. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, you it's just, it's people life forget about it. You know, and the thing is too, is that, um, People think people often think that uh, that you're being watched a lot more than you actually are. You know what I mean by that is that uh, people are actually selfish. Like they pay attention to themselves. They're not paying attention to you and saying like, "Oh, you said this dumb thing. You're bad. You're banished." It's like no. It's just like even if they thought that, they're like, "Oh, that was a stupid comment. What am I having for dinner?" You know, it's like they just move on. Well, nobody has that kind of pool. You know, like it, there's always like another faction or community of design that like, even if like Tobias Van Schneider like grilled you and stuff, it's 
there's always like other designers that like have different values and will bring you in. I mean, uh, that, <laughs> that being said, I think there's a positive, um, spin on getting that kind of attention. So, I mean, and, and, you know, debates only happen if you really say something opinionated, which, uh, Sam and I, uh, we're a little, we, we say opinionated things online. And so we <laughs> kind of deserve to get, um, into debates, but, Matt, like I've just had really good experiences where if you're prepared and you've done your homework and someone challenges you, you actually look smarter defending your thesis. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I mean, I just remember like a, like a, a, a VP design, like commented after I said something, he's like, I'm interested to see why you think this way. And I could have been like, oh shoot, game over. Like I'll never get a job at that company. But I'm like, no, this is my, this is like this is why I think this way. This is my reasoning for this. And he put me on the spot. I defended my thesis and then he, he liked the response. Like he he didn't say anything. He just liked it. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing is that like there, for the most part, there aren't really any like specific set rules about like, think this way. Don't think this way. I mean, sure. Maybe for like a mathematician, but not for UX, you know, where, it yeah, it may not really matter like how you did the study as long as you got the results. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, as I think that's more about like can you can you back up what you're saying and do you believe what you're saying? And if you do, then great. Even better, if you're wrong and you publicly just admit like, oh, good point. I didn't see it that way. I've done that too. Like yeah. I'll like I give an opinion. Well. Yeah, I'll give an opinion about like. Uh, the direction of where something in industry is going, someone will uh, lay down some facts and then I'll be like, you know what? Good point. This is a good conversation. And that then you get to spin it another way shows that you're teachable and humble. And, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know what? What's what's funny is if you've listened this far in the podcast, it means you're dedicated because the first 30 minutes, everyone's talked about LinkedIn. Everyone's talked about portfolios and stuff. Um, and uh, I, Sam has a really great uh, extra step uh, to like move you forward in the process. So um, yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I definitely want you to talk about uh, this other tactic, which is like way beyond being good at LinkedIn. A lot of people could be good at LinkedIn. You know, that's, it's not that hard to be good at LinkedIn. You just got to put the time in. This is uh, next level stuff here. Yeah. So, uh, this actually, so if you guys want to read this full article, it is called How to Dramatically Increase Your Chances of Landing Your Next UX Job, Even If You Have No Experience. Now, this is what's funny about this is that this is actually a strategy that I developed when I was in that stage of not having any experience and being desperate and having to come up with creative methods to get seen. And surprisingly, I got something pretty damn amazing from it. At least I think I did. So uh, to backtrack, I would say the first the first time I actually used this strategy, I was applying to a job at the Home Depot, uh, not to be like a cashier or anything, but they hire UX designers at their headquarters in Atlanta. And so I, I knew that I was uh, that I stood a pretty significant chance of not standing out at that point. Uh, But I had, you know, at that point I had 
I had applied, I had talked to a recruiter. Uh, she was like asking me some initial questions and everything. And, uh, or maybe I applied later, I, I don't remember. I think actually, I think this was when I first submitted it. Uh, but what I did is I wanted to really show what I could do as a UX designer to offset that lack of experience. So what I did is there was a Home Depot that was just a, a few blocks away from my house. So I, w I went over to the Home Depot and I looked at the checkout screens. I looked at how people, you know, like who was coming through the checkouts, how they were interacting with the checkout screen. I interacted with the checkout screen myself. I saw some, some issues that I thought were kind of confusing that I would personally solve. I was just jotting down notes and just putting on my UX research hat at that whole time. Then I pulled up the app and I was, because the app can actually like help you find certain stuff in Home Depot, like wood and chisels and saws and things like that. And so I was walking through it. I was just trying to find these certain items and I was looking at what worked, but then I was also looking at what didn't work and kind of thinking, you know, based on the, the people in the store that I was observing, like, okay, this is, even though this is not a good, a good way to like sample an audience, this is the best I've got. So, uh, yeah, based on who these people are and what they're trying to look for, is this really going to work for them? Then I went over to the paint department and the way I introduced myself to them is I said, hey, my name is Sam. I am applying for a job in uh, Home Depot's headquarters in Atlanta to help make your internal tools easier and therefore make your job easier. But would you be able to help me out and talk about some issues you've run into with your internal tools and they were like oh yeah we'd be happy to if you're gonna make our jobs easier well if this is shit and this string's over here and like none of this stuff makes sense and like we have to like go through all these steps in order to put in this order and like i was just getting gold right there i was writing down all this stuff and after that what i did is i went home i put everything into a powerpoint actually i went to uh canva yeah, you can go to Canva. It's a free graphic design tool online. And so I created this presentation in Canva that just talked about everything I found. I may even made some like some loose sketches and like made some like initial wireframes as to like what those would look like. Obviously, I wasn't as skilled of a UX designer, so they didn't look as good as my wireframes do now, but it was still something. And, and then I talked about the guys in the paint department. I talked about the problems they were going through and like how I, how as an employee, this is how I would go about solving these issues. And it wasn't terribly long. Uh, I, I think it was maybe like 20 pages. And I submitted that to the recruiter that I had been, uh, that I was talking to. Uh, and then she got back to me and the very first thing I heard is, oh my God, nobody ever goes to this extent. I like, I really, really, really got that recruiter's attention. She passed me over for an interview. Unfortunately, the interviewers, they, they saw that I didn't have the experience they were looking for, so they passed me up, but it got me an interview when I wouldn't have had one. Now I'll tell you another story. Uh, later on, I was applying for a a position at a software agency in Boston, Massachusetts. And I noted, I, I did, I talked to the recruiter. He was hesitant because I didn't have very much experience at the time, but he said, you know what? You're an enthusiastic guy. I'm going to pass you on for an interview. And so then I got in, uh, I had my initial interview booked and 
again, it was that whole thing of like, I know I don't have experience, I need to stand out somehow. So what I did is I looked at the, I went over the job description with a fine tooth comb. And I saw that they were asking for these certain programs, you know, they wanted to do was like HTML and CSS basic stuff. And so then what I did is, I, I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't as familiar with coding at the time, but I went on, I looked up a YouTube tutorial for how to make like this, make like a flippable baseball card in HTML and CSS. And I'd also looked at uh, this company, like what they, how they appear online. And so I noticed that their CEO would appear a lot and he'd talk about the company. So then I made a baseball card featuring him that had their branding, their colors, and you flip it over and it like talks about some of the stuff that like this company does. And and so I just kind of like, I kept that with me, planning that I was gonna show it to them to show like, A, that I, I know, you yeah, know, that I can like at least do what they're, you know, one of the requirements that they're asking me to, and B, that I understand the company and that I did my, my homework. And so I was going through the interview. It was, it was going okay. I think they were still kind of seeing like, hey, you might not have enough experience. But at the very end of the interview, um, I said, I've got something to show you guys. And they both looked at each other kind of perplexed, but they were like, oh, okay. I pulled out the baseball card, flipped it over. I let them play with it. And immediately they just perked up. They were like, oh my God, this is amazing. But like, yeah, and they started like asking me all these questions and everything. That actually led to a final round interview. I was living in Denver, Colorado at the time. They flew me all the way out to Boston, put me in this really nice, like a $200 a night hotel that was in Cambridge, just overlooking the the Boston River. And I, at that point, I just remember standing there in, standing there in, in my hotel and being like, oh my God, it, at this point, it doesn't matter if I get this interview or if I don't get this interview because I know I can get to this stage already. And so I went in for my eight hour long interview. It was a ball buster, but, and I didn't get the job. But it got me, because I was able to do that in that initial stage, it got me that far. And it's something that I've consistently been doing. In fact, when I got laid off from my, uh, from my previous agency job for COVID-related reasons, I did something similar. But again, in this instance, I came into the market with several years of experience. And they, so I was interviewing with these two different companies. Okay. They both asked me to put together a presentation of my work that I've done. So just like a portfolio piece that I'm really proud of. So I put that together uh, and I mean, that that's all they were expecting. But then I did that big value add project that I talked about in that article at the very, for like the second half. And I said, you know, I was going through the, uh, when I was, when I was setting that up, the first half was like, well, this is the, the project I worked on. There were some limitations. This is the stuff that like I would have liked to test. But now in the second half, I'm applying this very hyper specifically to your company. This is my methods, my process. Uh, I was even like, I was uh, tailoring it specifically towards that industry or to, towards each of the industries of the, the two companies I was applying for. Uh, I was talking about like the jobs to be done method and applying that and just like really, really, really getting something super juicy, super hyper specific. And when I presented it, 
to presented this to each of these companies, they were basically like trying to hire me as fast as possible. They saw that I brought so much value to this. And uh, what's funny, um, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap this up and be able to I'll hand this over to you soon. But um, what before this, I had worked in two sales jobs. And I think like the number one thing that inspired me to do this is because I realized that if you want to get someone to talk to you or at least, you know, to like to be able to buy your stuff or at least hear you out, you got to give them something of value for free. That's a sample of ultimately what they buy. Uh, now, you see this like in grocery stores, for example, they'll hand out samples of a food hoping like cheeses and stuff, hoping you'll buy that food. Or like if you want to download a free guide from some internet marketer, then all of a sudden you're on their email list and then eventually they're going to try and sell you on something. You got to think of it, think of this value add project as like that teaser. It's like a movie trailer or like, you know, like a, like a little cheese sample at the store of like what you can deliver. And if you can really, really knock that out of the park, make it hyper specific, show, not just say like, this is what I would do if I was your employee, but say like, when I'm, you know, as an employee of yours, this is how I'm gonna do this. Uh, and you're kind of like foreshadowing yourself into this role. If you can do that, oh my God, like it's going to really, really increase your chances. Like even if you don't land the job, um, I will say that it's a time consuming process, but man, it will benefit you so much. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, well, I think it just shows that you're able to do uh, UX design if you're able to like design the experience of interviewing you you're kind of controlling that engagement and that catches people off guard because usually like the power dynamic is that they're in control of your, your destiny you know <laughs> like and you just kind of take control. right and you yeah. don't yeah the big thing too is that what's great about this process is that it also puts the interview in your control and I think that the, this is actually very helpful because you don't want this to be, you know, some people, they come into interviews and they treat it like a word vomit contest. They're just, they want to, where like if you allocate an hour and they'll just talk and talk and talk and talk. And it's like, they're just trying to fill up as much time as possible. And that's what nervous people do. You don't want to do that. You want it to think of it more like a back and forth tennis match. You know, this is not, this is a con, it's a two-way conversation because you're also interviewing them. You're saying, hey, you guys, you know, I may be working with you guys for several years. Are you a good fit for me? And I believe that that's, that's really the value in being able to not just be nervous and try and talk and talk and talk, but you really want to like, you want to put the interview in your court you want them to ask you questions. You want to be able to ask them questions. Like you want it to be a really good conversation. Yeah, like I'm gonna dig a little bit deeper on like your pro your thought process. Like, tell me a little bit about like how how you made this value add like section of the presentation for your last job, right? Um, like, did you just did you first do like a wide like look at their site, get an idea what products they have first, and then you started narrowing in on like specific parts of the product, and then you said you even talked to 
uh, property managers managers because you're at Entrada right now. So yes, yeah, like uh, so you actually talk to pro- property managers to get like a better understanding, mm-hmm. right? So you did the work to source. So you pro- so did you do like a broad search first, and then from there you kind of narrowed down like what you're going to look for when you talk to property managers and. Yeah, so initially when I applied for them, I had never re- I had never really heard of the heard of Entrada prior to getting a job with them and eventually I learned that they were in the property management space and they were solving these certain problems and I was it's a combination of like looking around their site, reading site reviews, uh, and even going to some properties that you know were using their software and from there i was able to really get a good idea of what they were trying to like what they were trying to accomplish and how they were going about doing it maybe some like uh of course like i didn't i hadn't actually seen their software that at that point uh, but i was basically making the best educated guesses i possibly could based on the information that i had and Again, like when you're making these kind of projects, they don't have to be perfect because you're not going to have all that information. That's fine. If anything, it would be kind of creepy if you did. It's like, where did you get that? (laughs) Um, But you want to be able to get as close as possible and because that's showing that you're really serious about learning about their software, about how they work. Yeah. Like it, I mean, even if the, it's like a, incomplete project like just the fact that you made the effort to be like look at their customers and and luckily like in that space you're going you're like oh cool i can actually just go to the property and go to their off like the property office and like actually go straight talking to them but i mean just showing that like hey like i looked at their product i looked at the space um i even looked at their customers i reached out to people that worked at those companies and used your software i did some customer interviews this is like the jobs to be done framework stuff that I've like pulled out of like my interviews with them. And based off that, like, I think I'd, it'd be smart to prioritize these features, um, in the future and to, and like, this is how it could look, you know, and here's like some quick like mocks and a concept I put together. And like the, the, I mean, I'm sure the quality of the work matters, but in a lot of ways it just doesn't matter. It's just the fact that it's like, Holy crap, like the initiative. Yeah. <laughs> like, and seriously, I mean, with the now, I will say that there's definitely been times where I have done a, a value add project. Um, I did one for this was like a while ago, but I did one for a company that uh, I didn't really honestly care that much about what they were doing. And when I was interviewing, like it, they didn't sound like they cared about the company either, which should have been a really big red flag, but. I needed the experience, so I was like, screw it, I'm gonna do this anyway. Put in like, made like this sick, you know, put in like six hours into this project, sent it over their way after I had done my interview and said, hey, look, I'm gonna look at your site, I'm gonna send this over. And they knew it was coming and then it just dropped down a black hole and they just ghosted me. So that's the double-edged sword. Unfortunately, sometimes you will work on these and then it just goes nowhere. But again, it's kind of like, it's kind of like gambling with your time, you know, it's, you're not going to be able to hit all of them, but overall, I think it's going to benefit you if you can do this, you know, if you can, uh, if you can show it at the right stage of the interview, you can really hit home what kind of value they're trying to deliver and how you 
work into that dynamic. Yeah, you're basically like crap. You're you're painting the picture of a world where you already have the job. And, yes. Um, and also, like, I mean, yeah, to your point, it, it, like that. I think that strategy works well. I mean, you you were laid off, so I think there's a little, there's a context there. Like, like you were like, oh shoot, like I need to, I need to recoup and recover. So you had a little mm-hmm. bit of time on your hands. Um, I think. Um, and you know, I found this, I find this a really interesting strategy. I think for personally, for me, it's like, I would only do that if I really what could see myself working at the company. Like you mentioned, you know, if you don't see yourself working at the company and you're just kind of like interviewing to get experience as a junior designer. Um, but, uh, sorry, I'm, I set that up as like experienced designer. If you don't see it, like your like your lack of enthusiasm and energy is going to show in the interview process. And if you just spend the time. Uh, you know, making this knowing that you really just don't care about what they're working on. I don't know. I mean, that might not be a good investment of your time, but, yeah. um, you, you know, like I, I think that's up to you, you know, listener, if you're a junior designer and you're just really hungry to get that first shot, you know, I remember putting a ton of work in my junior design interviews because I didn't have a job. Like, so <laughs> I, I think if you don't have a job, like date, you got time, do it. Like, I mean, make it your job. It's your job to get hired. That's your job. Like it's, um, but, uh, yeah, like I, I dude, that, that's just an awesome framework. Like, it's, yeah. And in fact, I actually want to tie this back. So yeah. remember how I said, I don't believe in cover letters. Mm-hmm. That is my cover letter, but it speaks a thousand times louder. Boom. <laughs> here's, here's why I'm a good fit. And it's like an artifact. Yes. Yeah. That's. I think that's better. You know what? That goes along with something I've learned is that your 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 uh, portfolio is your network. Because eventually, you'll you get to a point in your career where that's just how you get your jobs. Like it's yeah. You know your your um your value add project is your your cover letter, and your portfolio is your reputation and your network. And I think that's uh, that's obviously working out for you, Sam. And yeah. Um, it looks like a great model and you know what? It's really not that hard. I mean, it's definitely like daunting to get started, you know, networking and, and producing content on LinkedIn or like, you know, being on LinkedIn and like asking questions and like commenting on posts and taking the extra time to make these extra, you know, value add prod, prod projects. But I mean, it's just, it do, you know, there's like the, I don't know if you've heard of the stone cutters credo. Um, basically, yeah. So basically it's whenever you're discouraged in the process, you look at a stone cutter, which, you know, is kind of weird cause you don't really know. It's not, it's not exactly a common job anymore. We got machines, but I think like, yeah. you know, back in the day, uh, yeah. stone cutters, you could watch a stone cutter, just, uh, hammer at a rock, like a, like a piece of granite a hundred times and the nine, the first 99 times, like he makes no progress. And then on the hundredth time, the, the, the slab breaks in half and you know that it wasn't that last strike that broke the slab. It was the 99 before it that set up. Yeah. Right. And that's basically like networking and uh, building your brand and hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, uh, before I, I do want to add one more thing. I know we're, we're probably going over time at this point, but um, no, we're doing good. We're doing good. You're good. 
so with the with these value add projects, I you know most of the time I do find a presentation is pretty is generally tends to be my go to. However, it doesn't have to be that. In fact, what I would say is look at look at the job description, look at what your responsibilities are going to be, and then show that uh, show we, I if you can show that you can do that job with those skills. I think that's valuable. For example, uh, I'm actually a really big fan of seeing people who are in SEO use Google, like target the people they're trying to get jobs mm -hmm. with in, you know, with SEO and like targeted keywords and things like that. People who are applying for ad, you know, who are like ad, uh, work at like advertising agencies or agency creatives, they launch an, uh, an, ad, an ad campaign specifically to get them a job. Like if, if they can show with their skills and have that, you know, show the employer with their skills and have that be their resume, that speaks so freaking loud. Uh, or like if you're, you know, for example, like if you're a developer and then you put together like your resume that was coded in the languages that they want and it's like really cool and it does like all this, all this neat stuff. Um, if you're, you know, you're, you do like UI for example and uh, you put together, uh, I, I don't know what this would be, but, um, you know, if you put together some like cool, like, uh, pitch deck that has like all these, like, all this like really nice UI stuff that shows, um, always want to remember though, the employer's hiring you because they want you, to, they want to make more money. So how, you know, how can whatever, whatever your skill set is, you know, for the, the people who are listening, it's going to be UX primarily. How can you translate that into making it very, very obvious that this is going to earn them more money, that it's going to help grow their business? Yeah, and uh, I think going back to like the the Home Depot example, um, just if they have like a physical location or they have a product that they're using. Um, you know, just talk about like time to task. Does it really need to take this long to do this? And then you, if you could just reduce time to task, that's a really quick, easy fix project that you could show them. Like it's like, oh, I just saved your checkout time. All right. This, I, I, I predict this will save checkout time by this much, mm -hmm. you know, and that's a really easy metric if like you can't think of like how it would make them money, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, no, Sam, this is a huge value add. I, and if you listen this far in the podcast, like you got a masterclass in job hunting, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you just gotta be like, hey, I'm Sam Harper, this is my masterclass. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is a masterclass in like the job hunt, networking, like I use any, I think even one of the tactics in this episode, and like I, you're, you're better off. Um, but uh, hey, Sam, thanks for coming back on the show again for Fast Follow. I hope you feel a lot more uh, listener. I hope you feel a lot more motivated and stoked um, to you know move forward and get that first job. Yeah, good luck to everybody out there. Apply these and you'll do great. Yep, and uh, make sure if you, if you need a little extra help, reach out to Sam, he's on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, just he's dedicated a big portion of his life to helping people uh, get good at this. So if you need a little extra coaching, reach out. Hey, listeners. Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Way of Product Design. 
If this episode resonated with you, please share it with your network and write a couple lines on why you found it useful. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help the show grow, please leave a review on Apple or Google's podcast platforms. As always, thanks for listening. You have a good one.